Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 158 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we talked about our summer technology reading lists and how reading technologies themselves have changed the way that we read. In this episode, we're jumping into the world of wearables big time and the implication of Fitbits, Apple Watches, and much, much more. A year or so ago, some of what we will discuss would have seemed like science fiction, but definitely not anymore. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be discussing wearable technologies and uh, whether they mean anything for lawyers and whether lawyers should care about them in the first place. In our second segment, we'll compare notes on how we're doing so far on our 2015 technology uh, resolutions. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's uh, talk about wearable technology. It seems like every, nearly every week now, we are treated to seeing some manufacturer release a new device that you can wear to track something that you do. Your steps, your heartbeat, whether you're standing up, how well you sleep, the number of things that are capable of being tracked are seemingly endless, and the manufacturers are showing that. these. I think these new gadgets are cool. I think they can be lots of fun. They can provide lots of information. Um, but then when we start to think about them as lawyers, the conversation sometimes gets a little bit more serious, I think. Uh, Dennis, aren't there really two ways that lawyers need to think about the topic of wearable technology? Yeah, I think there there really are the two ways that I always like to think about it. So one is, is sort of how do they impact what we do? do as lawyers in terms of the law, and I think that both means ethics and the the actual substance of, of what we do. And then I think the second thing is how we use these devices to assist us in the practice of law to to be better at what we do, to make our lives a, a little easier. So I, I think there are those two pieces that are always, always there. And I think the wearables really kind of pull these things out. And there's a notion that's developed, I'd say, in the last year or so, especially in connection with wearables called the quantified self. So as you say, people are using these devices to measure all sorts of things they do, the number of steps you take in the day, you know, your pulse, uh, how many times you stand, all, all sorts of different things. And, and all that information is tracked. Um, and I, I think that's the the one piece I find really interesting in the way that it's going to impact lawyers. And I think that goes to both, as I said, the substance and, and the ethics. And uh, that quantified self notion, to the extent you don't understand that as a lawyer, I think it's going to become really difficult to know how to represent your clients and to know the types of of evidence uh, that's out there. So there's that aspect. And then I I think the duty of competence that comes up uh, more and more often these days, Tom. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think we're already seeing that there have been at least two cases that I'm aware of, if not more, where 
wearable evidence has has actually become an issue, and I think it's actually been a Fitbit in both cases. There was a, a civil lawsuit uh, in, in Canada where a, a woman's lawyers are actually using her Fitbit, Fitbit information to prove that how after an accident she was less active. Um, I think that's kind of interesting uh, way to, to use that. Uh, there was another criminal case where a woman claimed that she had been raped, and, and as they were investigating the story, they examined her Fitbit, and that part of her story did not hold up when she said that she was sleeping. Um, her Fitbit activity actually showed that she was up and awake and walking around. So that kind of, they, they wound up by either dismissing the charges or not filing charges or finding that she had actually fabricated a lot of her story. So these devices are turning out to be very powerful witnesses one way or the other in certain kinds of cases. And I think that when you talk about the duty of competence, I think that's a real issue. And I know a lot of our friends have had spoken on this topic before, but I think that it's very important for, for lawyers to, if, if nothing else, on the one half of this issue, understanding that you now have a completely new source of information that not only is going to impact your client, and you have to be able to advise your client about the information that's being kept on them, but you also have to look and think about that in discovery for the other side, too, to understand whether or not the party that you may be across the table from also also might have that kind of information and whether you are uh, doing your client a service if for some reason you don't think about that as a source of discovery and you forget to, you, you just don't request it. So I think that from a technological duty of competence, I think we're going to see a whole new realm of discovery that's going to start soon about that. Uh, and I think that's really very interesting, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that. With some, some of the cases that have come out so far, I think, have been very interesting. But we're, I guess we're not really here to talk about, about the legal issues or anything like that. That's not what this podcast is about. Surely not, Dennis. No, no. I mean, I, I think that it's important to note that, to note that there's tremendously uh, significant new sources of data that lawyers have to consider. I think that there are issues of confidentiality and privacy that lawyers need to, uh, I think, ideally get ahead of as the wearables uh, come into play. But I think, as you say, Tom, be that as it may, uh, we want to talk about practical issues and whether these things actually make sense for lawyers. And I, I think that it's... In a way, they're they're really here, and so it's a matter of of saying, well, how do we use them better, and how how do we enter into the world of wearables? I mean, I think you can make the argument right now that the the major wearable we all have is is the smartphone. Uh, I was telling you, time I. I dropped my iPhone and, and shattered the screen and I had to get that replaced. And the idea that I would go for some period of time, even if it was an hour without having access to that phone was very troubling to me. I, I know that I've done things where I've uh, started to drive to work and realize I've left my phone at home and I've turned around and come back. So I think that having that phone is just in the pocket is almost become the premier wearable and and it starts from there. But I think that there have been things that have started with exercise monitors. Now I think the smartwatch era other devices, Google Glass, and you can just start to think of what what's going to happen and what can come out, what can they do, where can they be worn on the body. And I think the whole notion of wearables is going to expand, you know, based on 
on what we do. And it goes from headphones to those uh, Bluetooth uh, microphone headset things to you could see where something like a necklace could make sense for for certain types of wearables. Uh, So a lot has happened, I'd say, even in the last, what, two years, Tom, would you say that wearables have just become part of what it is that we do. Well, I think two years is where the explosion has happened and where things have really taken off. But I did a little bit, so when I was preparing for the podcast, I, I did a little trip down memory lane and was looking at kind of the history of wearables. And it was interesting to find out some things I didn't know that wearables actually date back to the 60s and 70s, that there were people designing, believe it or not, they were designing wearables that would help you cheat at gambling, uh, that you could bring in with you and uh, and, and help you get away with, with things at gambling, which I think is kind of an interesting first use case uh, for a wearable. The first calculator wristwatch debuted in 1975, believe it or not. And then uh, and when you, you talk about Bluetooth headsets, I think it's interesting that the Bluetooth headset's been around for 15 years now. The first one came out, I think, sometime around 2000, which I wouldn't have thought that it would have been out for so long, but, uh, but it seems like it, it was. But I, I guess I would challenge your notion of what a wearable is. You talk about the smartphone as being the ultimate wearable, but you know, technically, if we're being particular, a smartphone isn't necessarily something you wear. I will notice, just to give a, my own personal anecdote, a smartphone fails as a wearable device when you are trying to measure steps and you don't carry your phone with you while you're taking all those steps. For example, when I'm at the gym, I bring my phone with me, but I set my phone on the stand when I work out and it's measuring my steps. I mean, I do, I'm still taking steps, but my phone doesn't measure it and has no idea that I'm doing anything. And as far as my phone is concerned, I am sedate. So I think there are places where a phone fails as a wearable where other devices are better off. But then I'll take it to the other extreme and and ask, you know, what about uh, virtual reality goggles like Oculus Rift or the HoloLens that Microsoft is coming out with? They're designed to be worn, but they're not designed to be where you walk around on the street with them. They're not something that you can just take with you. So I think that what defines a wearable is going through a little bit of a, I don't know, I, I think it's, it's not been completely settled at this point as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I think we're starting to experiment, and I think the, the people involved in you know psychology and usability have really started to to look at these things. And there's some fascinating discussion of what can go on out there. And I was listening to somebody talk the other day about the wrist as being a location for a wearable, and you have two two wrists, and maybe you do different things with each wrist, and that becomes valuable real estate. I always thought that uh, the the headphone would become like a a really significant wearable where you see more and more functionality built into that. You had the Google Glass, you have the virtual reality lenses. There's, I think the HoloLens is more interesting in a way because like Google Glass, it's an augmentation of reality. So you can, you can still see what's going on outside, but it may be giving you information about uh, things that you're walking by and, and the notifications that you're getting. So a lot going on there. As you, as you start to think about like, well, could I have a smartwatch on one wrist and some other device on another wrist? 
is there something that, you know, the eyeglasses make sense for a camera? Like I said, something worn around your neck makes sense for something else. There may be something else that you would wear that would measure something, some other information. It all comes back to what it is that you want to learn about yourself and your environment and then then how you want to take action on that. I mean, because I, I was thinking, Tom, what you said about the, the step tracking is that with my Apple Watch, I just started a a class in, in kettlebells and um, the way those things work, I would not want to wear a, my Apple watch while I was doing that. I was thinking it would get in the way. And so that the way that my watch would measure exercise time just wouldn't happen because I wouldn't have the watch on while I was doing that exercise. So you start to see the individual use case starts to change. And, and we're just on, it just seems like we're in such early days. And I feel that, and I know you've used the smartwatches for a while on the, the Android side of things, but I also feel like we're at the beginning of time on apps. We just have no idea what what apps are going to bring to these types of wearables. Well, I think that's right. And I agree with whoever it was that said that the wrists are a prime technology real estate. But what's interesting to me about that is that I think that some people, and I'm going to call Google out here, were didn't want to think of the wrists at first. And I think it took Apple bringing the Apple Watch in and, and Google going to Android Wear to really do that. But I think if I'm thinking of, of innovative wearables, I really think Google Glass is one of the more innovative wearables to come around in a long time. I mean, it has some great applications. You can take photos or videos when your hands are full or, or if you don't want to be encumbered with a camera. You can see text or other messages pop up on your screen. I you think you can see a map or directions of things when you don't know where you're going. I mean, the, the applications for Google Glass are really, I think, fairly tremendous. And being able to fit in your glasses is, I think, even better. But I think it was early for its time. People may know that people who had Google Glass early on were called glastronauts, or they call themselves glastronauts. But, but people out in public actually were more likely to call them glass holes, if you pardon my modification. French. Um, they uh, they just didn't have a good reputation. And Google, if, if you recall, we talked about this on a previous podcast, they postponed development of Google Glass a while back. And many people, and I will include myself in that, thought that there was a good chance that Google Glass was dead. Um, that's probably not turning out to be the case. We've seen in the last week or so that Google is starting to roll out a glass program for companies uh, so that employees can use it. And what I really think happened is that people were we're not ready for a wearable that was on the head and that the wrist as real estate makes a whole lot more sense. It's something that people can accept. They they started with the Fitbit. The Fitbit's been around now for eight years. It's been around since 2007. And people accept things on their wrist because they've been wearing watches forever. And, and now that they've conquered the wrist with the watch, then maybe it's time to start going to other areas and to look at that. I personally cannot envision a world where I look on one wrist and it's measuring my steps and then on my other wrist is something that's measuring my oxygen level and maybe I've got an anklet down there that's measuring my my blood flow to my foot and that just kind of bothers me that I would have so many things. I mean, if I had some health problems that specifically needed monitoring, that's one thing, but I don't really know that I want my 
entire body to be quantified quite that much. I don't know about you, Dennis, but that's a little too much for me. Well, I always think back to William Gibson's uh, science fiction novel, Neuromancer, where in the notions of enhancement and augmentation in that book, there were people who had these, you know, the stuff that's amazingly can start to do now, the implants that allow, you know, you to see in different ways. And, and some of that research is really close to, to happening now. So you do see all of that. And, and I also think our approach to all these things is different. It's so I, I look at people. Okay, so I was, uh, I told you time I was in in a mall today, which I typically go to and you go like, oh my God, the tattoos, the piercings that, that you see and you say, well, if I'm doing all these piercings, why can't those be smart wearables? And, you know, people sort of jokingly said that if you do a tattoo, you would put chips inside yourself or whatever. So it's not, it's not like a big stretch. And it could be there are some generational aspects where, you know, I didn't wear a watch for a long time. And now that I have this Apple watch, I really have a hard time going without using it. And I pay attention to, you know, the need to, it has the great thing. If you've been sitting too long, it tells you to stand, it tracks your calories, all those sorts of things. And I just find it really useful uh, learning more and more things about it. So, but that's sort of the big picture. I, I guess, Tom, I, I just want to sort of focus in on, you know, based on what we've seen already, where do you think wearables actually make sense for a lawyer in his or her practice these days and maybe in the, in the next year or two? So this is going to be another episode of Tom as the negative technology person because I really think that to a certain extent, wearables tend to be more of a personal type of technology. I think that um, unless you're talking about something like Google Glass, something that can record things or take pictures or provide information to the lawyer when they need it, um, right now, not thinking of the use case unless you want to provide unless you want to provide wearables to your clients, if it makes sense in a personal injury case to provide a wearable to the client to get a day in the life. Instead of just doing a video, you've got a wearable that tells people, uh, uh, you know, how I spend my days and, and here's how I am. Um, that could be very powerful. So I see some use cases for it. Um, I'm still not convinced that it has things beyond that type of personal injury, health monitoring type use based on at least right now what I've seen so far in the in terms of what kind of wearables are, are coming out there at this point in time. What about you, Dennis? Well, I do see a lot of application, actually. And part of it, I, I hesitate a little bit because I think there are apps to come for wearables. So we haven't seen some of this yet, but I think I was, I was texting my daughter the other day over my watch. My phone was actually in another room and I was just dictating what I wanted to text to her. And it was just wrapping it perfectly and sending the text to her. Um, and it was amazing. And she was amazed that I was actually doing that. So I think there's a lot of small things that that these wearables can do. And I think it's you start to look and say, okay, what where is this actually going to be helpful to you? And I think it's that uh, there's two notions of notification and glances. So if I say, if I'm able to 
get notified of something and just be able to take a quick look at a watch and then be able to act on that to either decide I need to pay attention to this or not. That can help a lawyer who can say, I don't have to pick up the phone. I don't have to do this. I kind of kind of see what's going on. I can deal with that in another way. So I think it can make you a bit more efficient in your day and help you with priority. I also think you can sort of glance at information that could be helpful to you. And I think the speech recognition is is potentially a really cool thing to help you dictate notes, ideas, maybe even uh, time entries as well. So I think it's that little functionality uh, can be really useful. And, and then I think that the personal aspect, Tom, uh, is, is actually uh, an interesting part of how it can help the practicing lawyer. So my wife was a health coach for a, a big law firm in, in St. Louis for a while. And the one thing she noticed was that lawyers, she said, lawyers are chained to their desks. They never get up. They never walk around. They never do anything. And the, the fact that you can say like, hey, you've been sitting too long. You need to get up, get around. You have goals for steps and stuff. I think that will help lawyers deal with stress and the health issues that they have. So I think we're at the very early stages, but I think there's some really interesting ways that it makes sense for lawyers to explore both in sort of purely practice ideas. Like I think your idea, Tom, of the notion of, of giving a client some type of wearable to help with their case is, is really an interesting one. But I think just as a lawyer to help manage their work and their personal life and their health, that's where the wearables, I think, really come into play. I agree with you. I think that from a notification standpoint, I think that wearables like a watch are tremendous. And we've talked about this several times on the podcast already that I've, I hardly look at my phone anymore because I'm always getting notified on my watch. And I think that that provides some benefits. I guess I'll only say that I don't think that lawyers have a monopoly on being chained to their desk. I think that, yep, lawyers ought to look at that from a health perspective, but I think everybody should look at it from a health perspective. I think that one of the things that's very interesting to me in this whole dialogue is that suddenly it's as if it took Apple to tell people that they're not healthy. Fitbit's been trying to do this forever, but suddenly uh, we have people just having their eyes wide open because Apple is telling them that uh, that they need to stand up or do something. And um, I, I don't think that, that that's necessarily unique to lawyers. I think that uh, that applies to just about everybody, but that's no reason for lawyers not to take to pay attention to it. I think that lawyers need to be aware of it for all the reasons we've talked about and health just being one of those many important reasons. I will say that I don't know that I see a time where I find wearables, you know, making a big play in the courtroom unless they are being used for evidentiary purposes. I don't see Google Glass being used in the courtroom anytime soon. There are so many prohibitions against certain kinds of technologies. I would imagine that uh, that a device that has the potential to let let me take pictures of the people that I'm looking at and have that beamed back to somebody so they can see that and then they can comment and send me messages on how to frame my questions would be very concerning to a judge. So I, I'm not thinking that there's going to be anything in the courtroom along those lines. I, I do think that we are seeing more and more um, use of wearable events being used and I think that's going to do, it's only going to increase as time goes on. See, I actually thought there's there's some interesting potential in in the courtroom and and maybe other places as well because it gives you a way to uh, contact other people with short you know text type information say 
you forgot to mention something and somebody can look down at their watch and see that and then incorporate that into what they're doing or saying. And then I think in the courts, the courts where they have the ban on the the smartphones, I mean, it's probably going to take, what, another year or two before uh, those courts realize that you can you can get the information you would have got off the smartphone off your watch. And so it maybe it'll be another year or two before the watches get banned. So you can, you certainly have a window of, of taking opportunity uh, or taking advantage of some opportunity. Well, but here's the thing, though, which is if the phone is banned in the courtroom, then the watch isn't going to work. How does the watch work if you can't turn on the phone? I mean, the the watch communicates through the phone. Well, you just got to be close enough to it. <laughs> but let's wrap it up, Tom. I see I have a note here. Of, I'm not good on popular culture, as you know, but I had a note here of the Tony Stark lawyer. So I hope that's the right thing. It but, is. But this notion of saying like, wow, what if you combined like you know, different classes of wearables. So as a lawyer, you were able to say like, oh, look, on one wrist, I'm getting, you know, notifications of things that are happening on, you know, somewhere else, you know, like in my headset, I'm getting research in the glasses I'm seeing, you know, I'm able to look at transcripts and and my glasses are a teleprompter for the, you know, what I'm presenting or for my opening statement. And you start to say, wow, maybe there's like a whole set of devices that will turn you into to this sort of enhanced, augmented kind of super lawyer. And, uh, you know, it's in in a certain sense kind of a comic book idea, but, but I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, potential out there. And like I said, we're just so early in the app era. Um, we had no idea at the beginning of, of the smartphones how far apps were going to take us. And, and I, there's definitely that possibility in wearables as well, as well now today. Well, and, I, and I'll just say to wrap this up that uh, nobody ever has a problem with Tony Stark's multitasking abilities. And I think that when you start to com- add all that stuff together that uh, Tony Stark's able to do, when you apply it to those non-superheroes, even though lawyers tend to be uh, – great individuals. I think we're a ways off from that. I will say that I am looking forward to an age where our clothes become more smart. I like the, I like the idea of clothes that maybe for people who have health problems, they can monitor your skin temperature or your breathing or your heart rate or your blood pressure and be able to monitor that on a regular basis. I'm sort of intrigued by that as a future. I mean, I think we're a ways down the road from that too, but stuff like that's coming and I think it's going to be really interesting. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy. And I'm Tom Mile. Dennis had this crazy idea of revisiting our 2015 technology 
resolutions to check in on how we are doing, uh, or, or at least in his case, to check in on what his memory of what those resolutions were, which is probably an easier target for both of us, I think. I will invite you to check out our podcast for details. I'll post it in the show notes so you can go back and listen to it or see specifically what our resolutions were, although I suspect we're going to talk about that right now. Dennis, why do you think it's a good idea to check our progress, and why do you want to expose our shortcomings in public? Well, so two reasons. So I think that you, we tend to do these resolutions in, in January and make these big plans. And then uh, we never go back and check on how we're doing or whether they made sense in the first place. And so that that's one aspect of it. So I think it's good to check in in general. And then um, I also, I don't know what the right word these days is, but I guess I attended a webinar that uh, the Georgetown University's uh, Career Services, our alumni group, uh, put on for Georgetown alumni that was about sort of checking in on your your goals and your and your your plans for the year and, and sort of took a mid-year review uh, approach to that. I also had a mid-year review at work. So all these things kind of came together and I said, well, I do need to go back and, and look at some of those things because on some things I think I've uh, you know, I've made good progress, and in other areas, uh, I'm I'm not really sure. And so, I think it's good to kind of surface those. Uh, I think it would be interesting for our audience to see uh, how well we walk the walk, uh, in addition to talking the talk, and that it could be instructive to do that. So, as you mentioned, Tom, I don't like to be tied down by actually going back and looking at what what I said on the podcast. So, I'd rather go with my memory, which may be an easier e- easier standard. But I do know that one of my goals was to uh, to try the Apple Watch uh, at, at an early stage. And I also wanted to take the this, this slow approach to adopting it that I've taken. And that I've just been really happy with, you know, uh, I've worked my way now into Apple Pay and paying with my watch, which I love. The dictating of text, uh, which is great. Uh, There was something that I really wanted to do in the area of automation, and I think both of us wanted to do that. And that's where I haven't made progress. But but I think that's good to kind of, if you check in, then I say, oh, well, that's what I can do in the rest of the year because there are a good number of months left in the year. I knew I wanted to do more with OmniFocus, which I've done. I've done, uh, I wanted to do more with Evernote, which I've, I really used a lot in connection with our vacation uh, trip to Europe. Um, and that gave me some ideas for taking it to the next level. But that remains something I'd say maybe I'm 20 to 30% done on. So I think that for me, it's you, you see things that you would like to do, and there's still this sort of organization that I've struggled with in my technology and kind of uh, pruning my technology, I think was the, the term. And but I think I'm going to address some of that in sort of the uh, the cowardly way by getting a new computer with a bigger hard drive rather than doing the the pruning. But uh, so that's that is not pruning, Dennis. (laughs) That's but I think I've convinced myself that will actually help me prune because it will give me more room to work with. So I think when I look back at what I wanted to do, it's sort of not bad in in what I've done, you know. And so I I think there there are some things where I'm really 
pleased with what I've done in technology and some some areas I need to work. And I think when you go back and kind of systematically touch base with those things, you can give yourself credit for things you've accomplished. And then you can also say, it's not that I failed in these other areas. Now I can kind of focus a little bit more and see if they still make sense. Or now I have maybe have a better understanding of why they didn't work and what actually I could do in those areas to go forward. So I think in automation, uh, some of the things I would really have liked to do, I think involve me learning more about scripting than it probably makes sense to do. But it still gives me the opening to say, hey, I can uh, actually try to do things with if this, then that. And that may be an easier thing to do and not exactly what I had in mind at the beginning of the year, but may accomplish uh, some interesting things for me for the rest of the year. So I don't know. Um, I'm giving myself like a solid B, uh, at least uh, so far this year. Tom, I don't know where, how you rate yourself. You're usually like a little bit harder on yourself than I am. I am, and I probably would rate myself a little bit less. I went back, and I had four resolutions myself, and I did not rely on my memory because I don't think I could have told you what it was. I went back to the website and to the blog post, and I found that I had four. And I would say that I'm about, you know, if we're grading ourselves, I'm an F because I got about 50% of what I've done. But but I, I, I probably grade myself at a B- minus or a C plus. My first resolution was to learn more about how to use access, how to use Excel and get to be a power user, how to use Microsoft Project to really take advantage of the videos on lynda.com, which uh, was bought by LinkedIn this year, and to learn more about how to kind of take a deep dive in and, and, and become better user of those tools. I've done that. I've done that for uh, for access. I've done that for Microsoft Project. So I'm pleased that I'm, I'm making use of that. I will say that lynda.com is a fantastic resource that you should all take advantage of if you can. Making more use of automation. I stole or I appropriated one of yours and said, I, I need to also do that. And that's an area in which I've also not really done a whole lot that was out there. I really wanted to do more to automate on my phone. Um, and Android Lollipop is actually uh, taking care of a lot more automation than I that I was expecting to do using other apps like If This Then That. And so I've been pleasantly surprised that I don't have to learn that. But I still could probably I'm, I'm noticing that that If This Then That are adding channels all the time for things that I use. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that. I'm going to try to get to that. And I hope that the rest of the year will allow me to do that. I said that I would write more content on Interalia on my blog and shut down my iPad blog. And I have sadly done neither of those things. I've just not had the time to write that I wanted to. And that, that really is my true regret from my resolutions. Um, and, and my hope is, is that I'm getting ready to go on kind of a long vacation. And when I get back um, through the end of the year, I plan on trying to bang out a lot of writing and really get back to the writing form that I had been in in the past with a lot of web content. My last one with a, something completely new, like you, Dennis, and your Apple Watch, I purchased my Windows Surface. We've talked about it several times on the podcast. I completely love it. I, in fact, uh, last uh, this week uh, downloaded Windows 10 onto my Surface. I love Windows 10, as a matter of fact. So I have two completely new things um, this year, and I would say that those that that resolution I think has been completed to my satisfaction because I really am I really think that the that the surface tablet is a, is a transformative device I really like how I've been able to use it in both my work and uh, and as a personal device as well so I'm probably close to where you are Dennis but I will probably grade myself a little bit lower 
I really want to encourage the listeners to take a look at what they decided to do at the beginning of the year and, and kind of both reconsider now and then give yourself a plan for going uh, through the rest of the year. But now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. I have an article for people to read, and it is a blunt article, but it is something that I believe is the truth. And the article is titled, It's Your Fault, Email is Broken. I completely believe this. It has nothing to do with the tool. It has nothing to do with any technology. It has to do with how people have become used to email as their filing cabinet and have developed certain expectations about what it should be. And those expectations are not always correct. I think this is a good start to people understanding what the problem is. It doesn't necessarily offer any solutions, but it actually says people don't don't blame email for the problem. Blame yourself first. I know that's a hard thing to take, but it's I, I believe it, it's the truth or at least a large part of the truth. Dennis. Amen. So Allison Shields and I have started to work on a, a new version of our LinkedIn in one hour book. And so I've been doing a little research on, on LinkedIn. And so I on uh, Tom Coombe on, uh, on the Small Business Trends blog wrote a post called The Science of the Perfect LinkedIn Photo, which is just full of great tips of how to put a photograph into into LinkedIn. And I'm just surprised by the number of people who, and especially lawyers, who don't have any photo at all, which is truly bizarre when you get an invitation to connect from somebody who doesn't have a photo or they have a really outdated one or or something that's just not appropriate. So this article really goes through what you need to do, how you crop pictures, what works well, uh, whether you need to look happy or not, uh, you know, those sorts of things. And so I, I just found it a really handy, useful article that will enhance your LinkedIn profile and your LinkedIn presence. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts as well. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast... I am Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.